0: This message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at wwwcorner or by subscribing to our podcast. Uh, Genesis chapter 41. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use one of the, the pew Bibles, they're kind of underneath there in the racks. I think it's on, it starts on page 40 and then we'll go to page 41. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love... For you to take that Bible home, just put your name in the very front of it and that will be your Bible because we would love for you to have the word of God uh, to equip you, to encourage you as you go on this week. Genesis chapter 41. Uh, Last week, I I got a little bit passionate and a little bit uh, emotional uh, at one point when I was talking about, you know, how sometimes we take these great Christian truths and, and we kind of reduce it down to a little bumper sticker and then we go on and we just kind of try to stick that on somebody. And I think you know my passion. You know, I kid all the time about Christianity is not a bumper sticker. These are great, great truths. And last week when I talked about, you know, guys, the last thing that we need to do when we have these great truths is go into somebody. And even though there is truth, that waiting on God is not wasted time. You know, waiting time is not wasted time. And I told you last week, I said, you know, sometimes we get out there and we mean well. I think we really do mean well. And yet somebody's going through crisis in their life, and so we just kind of put that bumper stick on them. I said, well, you know, the Bible says. And I think you could hear my passion there because I've seen a lot of people hurt in well-meaning but sometimes careless use uh, of this great truth. Guys, let me understand this, and then we'll get on to the message today. I just wanted to clear that up last, from last week because uh, I believe so deeply in this. The word of God is a sword, okay? But it's a sword when we come in defense and we're in battle to spiritual battle, okay? To the Christian, it is a foundation. And what I mean by this, and and I'm not saying that, uh, don't take this to the nth degree. This this is not a sword. When I I come to battle against the enemy is when I use the sword, okay? When I come to a friend, I I come to an arm, I come to a foundation. And I want to build them up with this and encourage them. And sometimes not because we, I think sometimes we get kind of sloppy or sometimes we get lazy with the spiritual application of things and we just want to reduce these great truths down and we just kind of throw it at somebody and that can be so hurtful. I heard from some of you this week said, Pastor, I really appreciate you saying that last week because I know they didn't mean that, but I got hurt years ago when somebody just came up. I was in, you know, my mom had passed away and I was at the funeral and, and then they had these little Christian sayings, and by the 20th one that said the cute little Christian saying that is true, I was ready to really strike out to them and to God. This is a sword. With a sword, we attack in, in spiritual warfare the evil one. But it is a foundation and a rooting to the believers and to the family of God. And so when we come to the family of God and we take these same spiritual truths, we take them and we build them up and we encourage them by these things. And most of the time that involves more listening than just speaking. As much as we may have a word to say, you know, this is not wasted time. I know you're having to wait and it's not wasted time. God can do this. He's done it throughout the Bible. And and can I just pray with you as you're waiting? Can I come beside you? Never estimate the power of these truths. Folks, just don't get lazy with them. Don't get trite with them. God still uses us to come beside and hug on people and to love on people and encourage people. Don't take the element of the Holy Spirit working through our lives and the purpose that we have. And most of the time, you know what that involves? As much listening as it does telling. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share encouragement. We should. But it means a lot of listening so that we come beside people. Well, sermon number one, over. Just wanted to clear that up because I had had a couple comments this week. of going, Pastor, thank you. You know, I've been hurt in the past. And they weren't saying hurt at Cornerstone or anything like that. They just said, I've been hurt in the past by the very thing that you talked about that sometimes people mean well, and yet they just kind of come out there. Be careful with this use of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 41. This morning, as we continue on last week, we talked about waiting on God and how uh, it was a very long time between the time that Joseph was 17 to the time that we come to this chapter. And finally, there's a little bit of daylight. But if you remember the story, Joseph was put into a jail cell for something that he did not do. And so he was serving time for a crime that he did not do. And it's easy to become bitter just from that one aspect. Hey, I don't belong here. I think any one of us, if we were falsely accused, would raise ourselves, and if especially with somebody in our family, we would raise and we would say, I just want justice done. And it's hard, it's very hard to sit there and go with what Joseph was going through. There's a little bit of a breakthrough when the baker and the cupbearer from Pharaoh come. They're imprisoned for a crime that we don't know, and they both have dreams, if you remember, and Joseph tells them what their dreams mean. And sure enough, that came true. The baker, he gets hanged. And that's exactly what Joseph said was going to happen. The, the cupbearer gets his old job back, and now he's there with Pharaoh. And one of the things that Joseph said, look, you don't owe me anything for telling you what these dreams mean. Just do this. When you get back, since you know, it's, you're going to get your job back, you're going to be right there with Pharaoh. Just remember. Just remember that I interpreted this dream. Well, When we left last week, uh, that cupbearer didn't remember. He got his old job back. Everything that Joseph said went just like he said that it was going to go. And uh, it's not until we come to the very first verse, uh, in Genesis 41, 1, that it says, and after two, what, whole years, not just two years. He could have said, I mean, every word in the Bible means something, guys. There's not a a, a myth. Mis- place the word in all the Bible. And so when it says, instead of after two years, when it says two whole years, I believe that there's something to that word whole. And it's a little bit of what we touched on last week. And so here's my question for you as we start to ponder this in your mind, wrestle with this a little bit. You're Joseph. You're in prison for something you did not do. You just want justice. There's a little glimmer of hope because you just interpreted a dream by God's power, of this cupbearer, now you know that he's got his old job back and he's right there with the pharaoh. He promises you as he leaves that he will remember you and that he will tell the pharaoh. Next verse tells us two years. At what point in that two-year journey do you stop stop counting the days? Because at one time, we're sitting there going, okay, it's like when we're waiting for something in the mail. It's day after day we go and we go with a sense of expectation. When did days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months eventually turn into two years? It's a very important question for us in practicality to ponder. Because there will be things that God will do in your life on a daily basis. There will be prayers that he answers on a weekly basis. There will be some prayers that he will answer in a month's time. But there will be times in our lives, in our Christian journey, not because God is an angry God, not because he's a mean God, not because he's a forgetful God, but because he's a God that is maturing us and growing us, that it may be two whole years. Not two years, two whole years. Do you see the significance of that word? Because you've been there, haven't you? Have you been there when it wasn't two weeks, but it was two whole weeks? <laughs> Have you been there before when it was not two months, but it was two whole months? And you've probably been there before when it wasn't two years, but it was two whole years. Waiting. And really feeling like it really was kind of wasted time. But well, there is a glimmer of hope here after two whole years. so dreamed he was standing by the Nile. And, and I, I, don't believe, I don't know what was going through Joseph's mind. It doesn't tell us the, the status of his mind after these two years. It just begins to tell us what this dream was. It's kind of a weird dream, kind of hang on, look at verses 2 through 4. And behold, there came out of the Nile, this is Pharaoh, and he's dreaming, but it is a God-given dream. Understand that this dream was given to Pharaoh, who is not a believer in God, but God is the originator of this dream. Verse 2, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed on the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a dream like that before. I mean, I think about food a lot, but mine is more more the plump cows. You know, I'm thinking, you know... I think, God, you're telling me to go to Five Guys tomorrow. This is just my interpretation of this dream. You know, that somehow I need to go have a cheeseburger tomorrow. But this is kind of a weird dream, not only because it involves cows, but because it kind of does something that would not happen naturally in nature. And that is that the weak cows, these that seem like they're at a disadvantage, actually overtake the healthy cows. This is that Pharaoh awoke. Well, he wakes up and eventually he gets back to sleep because look what happens in verse 5 through 7. He has another dream. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, do you remember what we said about dreams uh, of, of God, the, the God-given dreams, in this story of Joseph? That when two dreams occur together, what does that mean? They're going to happen. This is God sealing it. And actually, we get that from not my own kind of guessing, but it's going to tell us that later on in this chapter. It says, there's a certainty. When we have a second dream, there's a certainty that this is going to happen. And so, it's kind of like God's sealing the deal. And so, Pharaoh does not know that. He just knows he has these two dreams. He's kind of disturbed. And so, uh, at that point, he, he contacts all his soothsayers and all the people that would work with him. That would be magicians, that would be people that have kind of supposedly this earthly wisdom and all kinds of mystical wisdom. He calls all those people together. And look what happens. Verse 8. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of his wise men. Pharaoh told them the rings, but none of them could interpret them to the Pharaoh. So he's disturbed. that even the wisest among him could not interpret what this meant. Now, guys, I have a feeling that they kind of somewhat knew. They're seven and they seven. And even in Egypt, and not just in biblical times, that would have been significant this number seven and what happened there. And I don't know if they're just afraid because you don't want to be the bearer of bad news to the boss. And we also know that Pharaoh, is he prone to make decisions that say basically off with your head? We have case history. Go ask, well, you can't ask him anymore, but go ask the family of the baker, okay? That the Pharaoh is not a guy that you really want to upset. So we don't know if they just can't interpret Which, for the most part, I think they wouldn't be able to give a direct interpretation because it's a godly dream and they're not godly people. But I think they could probably scratch together something, but they refused to say anything. And this disturbs the Pharaoh anymore. Because I don't know that there was many times that they didn't have at least some answer to give to their boss, the Pharaoh. The other thing to keep in mind here is that the Egyptian mindset of Pharaohs is that they were God, a God that the Pharaoh was a God. Now we know that there's only one true living God. Remember that because that's going to come up in just a couple verses. But in Egyptian lore, in an Egyptian mindset, the Pharaoh was a God. And so he's going, okay, I had these dreams. I know that they're significant, significant enough to disturb me. I want to find out the answer. I cannot find the answer. Not even the wisest men among me, the magicians, those that are mystical, those that are practical, none of them can give me answer. Look what happens. Verse 14. The cupbearer, he uh, remembers. That he, there was this guy I met in jail. Remember that time you put me in jail and you put me in that prison? He said, I met this guy and, and we had two dreams. And, and he interpreted him correctly. I, maybe we should ask him. Verse 14. then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. this is the guy you need to talk to probably leaves out the part that he was supposed to tell him two years ago but man's mistake does not trump a sovereign God you know what one of the most helpless feelings in the world guys is when we give power to man over power to God it's natural every one of us have done it before Where we feel like we are a victim of circumstances. And the circumstances were coordinated by man. And even though we know that God can use those, sometimes we just feel like, Okay, God, (laughs) I wish I'd never met that guy or that gal. And somehow that our life has gotten very complicated because of things that were on this level of earth. Forgetting that there's this sovereign God who did not cause those things. He would not be involved in sin. He would not be involved in things that uh, were mischievous at, at that point. But God can use all things. And one of the tendencies that you and I have in our life, when circumstances go wrong and people are meddling in our lives, and when we get treated unjustly or unfairly, is to think that kind of that person has all the power. It can come down to a boss. It can come down to a family member. It can come back down to a husband or wife. It can come down to all kinds of things where we're going, you know, man, I've just, if it wasn't for this one person in my life, life would be pretty good. Joseph could have said that on many occasions. And you know what we see here is that we have a sovereign God who is not causing these things to happen per se. but is certainly using these things. So, Bobby, you're not, you're not saying that he calls? I don't think God ever calls us sin. We, we have just too many verses And James. says He's not the author of sin. He's not the coordinator of sin. But even in this sinful world that we live in, that we have to coexist, and we have to deal with sinful bosses. Amen? amen. And sinful family members. And sometimes we're the sinner, and somebody else is praying about us. Okay, yeah. hey, please remember this, guys. That never The plans of man never trump the plans of God. It feels that way. I promise you, it feels that way. And I promise you that we could go to a legal court. Our DA is in the back watching the kids, but I can promise you, I could ask Andy right now, that the preponderance of the evidence certainly could probably be made that sometimes that the plans of man seem to have trumped the plans of God. Our God's not that small. He is not that small. He's the God of creation. He is a holy God. He's an observant of every hair on your body. He knows when every bird falls from a tree. He is this holy God, and the plans of man will never trump the overall plans of God. Hold on to that, Christian, because there's going to be days that that doesn't seem like what's going on in your life. And for two whole years, it did not seem like that was going on in Joseph's life. And then all of a sudden, come there for his own occasion, remembers, he comes out, Joseph is there before the Pharaoh, and look what happens. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, A very important part. Pharaoh says, I I heard that you can interpret dreams. And uh, that's why we called you out. That's why they cleaned you up. That's that's why they brought you here. And listen to Joseph's response. Now, he left home. He was taken and sold into slavery. How old was he? 17. We're going to find out in just a second that now he is 30. For 13 years, he's been waiting. Okay, 13 years waiting on a God-given dream. Listen to his response. You do not find bitterness. You do not find blame. What you find is a man who even in this hard circumstance remains faithful. Look what he says. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, does Pharaoh believe in the Israelite God? No. Most people who think they're God, do they really want to have competition of who's the real God? Is there not an arrogance of people who think they're kind of God? Again, we've worked for some of those people. Uh, Some of those are family members. We see them twice a year at family reunions. And they think they're God. And one thing about people that think they're God is they don't like a lot of competition. You just ask Aunt Susie to do it a different way next family reunion, and you will find out she does not want competition for being God of the family. It doesn't work. And Pharaoh's that way. And yet, without reservation, without reservation, Joseph, when given opportunity, says, I, I I can tell you about these dreams, but it's not me. It is God who gives him this power. He does not shy away from this. It's quite risky. But look what happens. You see that this is part of God's plan. Uh, Pharaoh tells Joseph about both dreams. And look at the response, just in case you thought, okay, yeah, he just kind uh, kind of slipped in the God word there in this other verse. Look again at verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, after he told him both of these dreams, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He said, God is the one in control here, Pharaoh. God is, and and you're not God. These dreams are given to you by God. It's going to explain some of the plans. And here's basically what they mean. Those seven good cows and the seven bad cows, the seven good crops and the seven bad crops, he said what we're about to see is unprecedented uh, crops flowing for seven years. There's going to be a time of so much plenty that people will, we won't even have room to store it. But that's going to be followed by seven of the worst years that the world has ever seen. And he says, what you need to do, Pharaoh, here, here's the plan. Because it's one thing to tell you the problem. It's another thing to come up with a plan. And we got friends like that, too. <laughs> I'm telling your life is messed up. <laughs> well, can you help me? No, I'm just telling you, your life is messed up. And that's not what Joseph does here. Okay, he doesn't just say, "Pharaoh, you have a very big problem." No, he says, here, here, "Here's what you need. You need to put somebody over it." Look at verse twenty-eight. It is I who told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what is he's, he's about to do. Go down to verse thirty-two. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that it is a thing that is fixed by God. This is where we get that that whole reality that two dreams mean that it's a certitude that is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. And he begins to tell him, here's what I would would do. He said, you need to have somebody to save during the good part of the years to put that one-fifth of the crop. That if you have a hundred whatever... Put back twenty of it over here and store that in each of the cities. When he begins to hear that. Pharaoh says, This is really smart. This is something we need to do. Verse 38. After he tells them this plan, hey, during the times of plenty, put back one-fifth, store it in each of the cities, have it ready for the people. Look what happens in verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, do you see that? Is that a big G or a little G? I'm not saying that all of a sudden Pharaoh becomes a believer that he testifies that you are the only true living God, that the God of of Abraham is the only true God. But, But he certainly is a believer right now because he's in a desperate situation. And he says, okay, who else can we find that has a spirit of this God who's the one who gave the dreams and this man who just interpreted by God's power what these dreams mean? Now, Pharaoh has at his disposal all kinds of wise men, magicians. Georgia Tech grads. All kinds of... You know, he's got all those people there. He's got smart people around him that can help him with numbers. And yet he notices that there is one thing about Joseph that may that is not found in the other men, and that is the very spirit of the living God. I'm not saying that he's a believer. I'm just saying he's a believer that Joseph knows this God. Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this... There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, you're going to be second in command. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, "See, all that I've set over you, I've set you over the, the land of Egypt." He gives them a signet ring, which in back in, in that time would have been the, the company platinum card. Basically, anything you ask, anything you want, Joseph, you get you second in command. He gets to ride in what we would call Air Force Two. It's the, the chariot that's right beside him. He says, okay, you get to ride in this chariot right behind me. He, he has all the authority. This is a guy that was just in prison just maybe that day before or two days before. For how long? Two whole years. Thank you for the people that said two whole years. Because that's an important part of this story. Because when you're Joseph, it was two whole years. Don't cheat him out of a single day of two whole years that he was there waiting on God. And now the the light breaks through, guys. And now something that he could have never imagined, he could have never worked for in his own efforts, he could have never placed himself in this position With all of his conniving, with all of his own work, with all of his degrees, he would have never been able to do this. In other words, here's a principle for us to take to our lives. When God has plans for your lives, guys, it will supersede anything that you have ever imagined about your own life. You can work, and we are to work hardly. I think Christians should be the most industrious people in the entire world. I think we should be the most faithful workers in the entire world. We should be working always to to give pleasure to the one who's given us opportunity to work. But never think that your efforts and all your study and all your conniving and all your, hey, I didn't get this job and I just think God has forgotten me. Wait. God is going to do something. His plans for you are greater than even the plans that you have for yourself. So we see already two principles. The plans of God supersede the plans of man. Your life cannot be permanently wrecked by another person, maybe temporarily. And that temporarily may not be two days or two months. It may be two whole years. But that does not thwart what God wants to do. The other thing is God's plans are even greater than what you have planned for yourself. So Joseph is here, and it says there in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh the king. 17 when he was sold into slavery, after God is the one that gave him this dream, that he would be in a place of might and position and power. 13 years has transpired, and those have not been glorious years. Those have been really hard years where Joseph has remained faithful to God, even when it seemed like everybody else was turning against him. Here's the question, guys. Thirteen years. Could God have done the same thing in ten years? Take a stand. Yes or no? Yes. Could God have done this in ten months? Could God have done this in ten days? He does the impossible things. I just saw that, this thing this thinking He does impossible things. God could have. God didn't. See, here, here's our dilemma. Because we know that there's a God who can. I'm picking 10 days over 10 years. I'm certainly picking 10 days, you know, even over 10 months. Because in Bobby's timetable, this would be just really showing the very power of God. And yet, God loves me so divinely and so perfectly. He says, Bobby, you know, in ten days, you know how much muscle and faith you're going to develop about like that? In ten months, about like that. In ten years, about this. But at the right time, in my plans, I will have you. And you will be exactly where I want you. And your head and your heart will be mature And you would have learned things that you would have never learned in 10 days or 10 months had I taken you out. Now, I'm convinced that that is the conversation that God would want to have with many of us. I'm also convinced of this, that it's not a conversation that we want to have. As much as I believe that biblical truth, you give me my next really big dilemma, especially if it's involving my kids. I'm picking 10 seconds over 10 days. You put my kids in there and God's trying to mature something that involves my family, my wife? I'm picking, okay, God, I prayed about this this morning and it is now 2.17 and you have not fixed this yet. And, you know, I I can't say that I'm really a lot better if it was my dilemma and not my children. And, you know, I can sound really heroic, not my children, not my wife. I'll just be real honest. When it comes to spiritual exercise, I'm pretty much a wimp. And I'll take ten seconds. I will take ten minutes. I will take ten days. I will take ten weeks. Over 10 years, anytime. And yet, my mind in the Word of God and my heart says, okay, God, if it's 10 years, I can trust you. And there is a purpose in 10 years. In this case, in 13 years. As we saw, so He did not waste that. Seven years that follow, seeing unprecedented crops come in. In fact, verse 49, you can look down there, it says, they stopped measuring. At first they were, you know, they had out the slide rolls. They had everything out at first. Okay, yes, we have 1,432 cubic feet of grain. We have this. And they stop. It gets so much food, so much provision that they stop measuring, verse 49 tells us. And then the famine hits. And it is worse than anything that they could ever imagine. It's the east wind that comes in and destroys everything. And yet that's when God's plan goes into place. And all this that they had stored for seven years, one-fifth, 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 all this that God had provided, then it comes into fruit. And guys, I want you to look at the very last verse, because sometimes we we read really good at the first of a chapter, and by the end of the chapter, we're just ready to get done, and we're ready to get on to the next chapter. And one of the most important verses, this entire story, this entire narrative is found in verse 57. Mr. Cliff, what does that say? Just say it out loud. Read it out loud. Yes. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain because of famine that was severe over all the earth. Yeah, that was severe over the entire earth. Who comes? Who comes? Who comes? Who comes? and and we're going to find out in chapter 42 that part of this all the earth is Joseph's family. Plans of man will never trump the plans of God. The plans of God will ever secede and supersede your own envisioning and plans. God never, never wastes time. He's working something bigger than you could imagine. What we're going to see in the coming, I don't want to do a full spoiler alert, but something that, you know, that is really estranged in Joseph's heart is not just all these terrible predicaments. The, the fact that, I mean, if your brother sold you into slavery, can that put a little bump in your road? You haven't seen your dad? Now again, did Joseph and his dad have a pretty close relationship? That was his favorite. He made this coat for me, or a coat that I used to have. And yet this father that he loves, he's endeared to, he hasn't seen in 13 years. Yet God has positioned him in a place where he's the second most powerful person in the entire world. Then the circumstances of this all come together where the whole world is having to come to Egypt to have provision just to make it to the next day. God doing something that Joseph could never have done on his own. At 55, I've learned that the hard way. Sometimes a well-meaning heart. And I was going to go fix it. Not destroy it, but I was going to fix this broken relationship. And yet I didn't pray, I didn't go with the Spirit of God, I didn't go with the preparation, and i go in there and uh, end up being worse than it started. Perhaps you've tried to do that too. The plans of God will always supersede the plans of man. Man cannot mess up your life. And I don't say that in a hurtful way. I realize that some husbands have left you over the years. I realize that some wives walked out. I realize that some moms and dads left your family as a child. I realize that there's a whole lot of uh, hurt in this collective room. Okay, guys, this is not minimizing all of that, but you are not victim of that, guys. You're not victim of, well, my dad left when I was three. I never knew my dad. Or this is you know, I loved my wife, but she walked out on me, took the kids. I'm just telling you guys, the plans of man can never supersede, they can never go over the plans of God that He has for your life. This is your hope. This is your hope. And if you haven't experienced those things and you've had the blessedness of, of good family and good parents and good brothers and sisters, and you're going, Okay, this is what I aspire to in life, let me tell you this the greatest plans you could ever have for yourself. God has a plan that supersedes even that. It's not going to be always the pleasant plan. It's not always going to be one where you're not in the pit, as Joseph called it. But God is working something. And that's not a bumper sticker. That's the reality of the character of God. That's why we don't take something as holy as the character of God and turn it into a little bumper sticker when somebody's going through a difficulty in life and go, well, here's my little quip. And I I even, you know, I I, uh, knitted this together for you. And I framed it so you can put it on your wall. Waiting time is not wasted time. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) The very character of God very character of holy God is behind that waiting and is the hope that it's not wasted. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. That doesn't mean you're the cause of all things. But Father, there is no, not even a piece of cosmic dust that escapes your lordship, your authority, and your sovereignty. And Father, that gives us great hope when we are kind of in a situation where it would be so easy to be the victim, so easy to say the plans of man, another man, have ruined the plans of us. Thank you, God, that you are the giver of dreams. You are the fulfiller of dreams. And Father, you are always working, even in the midst of waiting, developing maturity and muscle in places that we would never develop. And so, Father, while we're waiting, thank you for uh, the chapter 41s that come along that we see a glimmer of hope. We begin to see, but I can only imagine that in Joseph's mind that he reflected back to that original dream that somehow he would be in a position of authority and power. And here he is at 30 years old, 13 years later, and he's in a position of authority and power. There's just one thing missing from his dream, Father, and that's his family. And yet from this very last verse that we read, before we go into the next chapter, you begin to give us a light that even all the world, including his family and his brothers, are going to come to the very place where he is. Father, for those who are in the midst of two whole years, five whole years, ten whole years of holding on, Father, strengthen their faith this day through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Fill them with the Spirit, your Spirit, Father, just as you did Joseph. And Father, encourage us. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for this blessed word, Father, that is not just a story from history, but an application of truth that we can live out even this week as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.